Grab your Bible and turn with me to Romans chapter 1. Last month, I watched a lot of the Olympics. Did anybody else watch the Olympics last month? Yeah, I love the Olympics. I I love watching the United States compete in the different events. And I love seeing all these different cultures come together in this unified way and, and compete in the same events with the same rules in the same place. This year, I even watched a uh, portion of the opening ceremony, which is really cool. It's exciting because they have this parade of athletes where the athletes of each country get to walk in together and they wave their flag and they got their uniforms on. Did you know there are about 195 countries in the world today? So there were several that I did not know anything about. But it was still cool to see that the different cultures represented how different countries dressed, how they carried themselves. Some of the countries walked in and they were all serious and reverent, like focused on winning. Other countries came in and they were dancing and taking pictures and having a good time. But as a Christian, the whole thing reminded me of this passage that we studied back in January, Revelation 7, verse 9. It says this, After this I looked, and behold... A great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Man, where else besides the Olympics will we see people from all over the world in one big unified celebration? In heaven. That's where. When we stand in the renewed kingdom of God, we're going to be joined by people from all over the globe. People from different cultures that speak different languages that look and dress and live differently than we do. And this is not just something unique to Revelation. This is really the whole story of Scripture. When God created, he didn't create a country. He created a world. He called Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply and to fill the earth with his glory. He promised Abraham that he would be the father of many nations. Then in the ministry of Jesus, we see the gospel going out. Outside the nation of Israel, there were Samaritans and Roman centurions and Syrians who believed. And then with Jesus' final message, he gave the Great Commission. He said, go and make disciples of all nations. And that's what we see happening in the book of Acts. The gospel began to spread all over the world. And one of the people who led that mission and is responsible for much of that spread is a man by the name of Paul. We established last week that Paul was called by Jesus to be a missionary to the Gentiles. We said, a Gentile is anyone who is not Jewish. Paul saw his life purpose as fulfilling Abraham's promise and working toward John's vision in Revelation 7. Paul's calling was to start a global church. We're going to see this desire, this calling from Paul in our passage today. If you were here last week, you know we started a brand new series, walking verse by verse through the book of Romans. We kicked off the series by introducing this letter, and we established three things. We said, number one, this book was written by the Apostle Paul. He was a Pharisee, Christian hater turned Christian missionary. He was sent out to plant churches, and he wrote this letter from one of his missionary journeys. We said, number two, that this letter was written to the church in the city of Rome, which was really the capital of the world at the time. But this church faced some challenges. See, all the Jews had been kicked out of Rome for five years. So while they were gone, the church took on a Gentile flavor. Then when they came back, you can imagine how the cultures collided. Add to that the fact they were in the center of Roman power, which was not a friendly place for Christians to be, and they had some struggles. 
And third, we said last week that the purpose, the theme, the point of this whole letter, if we want to sum it all down, simply put, it's the gospel. It's all about the gospel. Paul is laying out his most thorough and complete explanation of how this message of good news that Jesus saves impacts every single part of us. And we said that same gospel is what we must be centered on and focused on today. So that was last week's introduction. In today's passage, we're going to cover Paul's customary prayer for the people who received this letter. Again, this was a typical part of first century letters. When Paul would write, he would start by introducing himself, then he would pray. But this particular prayer in Romans has a particular emphasis. Paul wants us to see that his heart, his prayer is for a global gospel that produces a global church. So let's dive in and begin by reading through our text. Would you please stand with me as we honor the reading of God's word? This is Romans chapter 1, verses 8 through 15. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit and the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I've often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. You'll notice that this passage has a global, worldwide emphasis. Notice Paul commends the Romans. He says, hey, your faith's proclaimed in the whole world. He wants to travel to them to see their part of the world. Then he says he's under obligation to preach the gospel to the whole world. So here's the question that we need to ask first. Number one, why is Paul so focused on reaching the whole world? This is a man who devoted his life to his home country, the nation of Israel, and the Jewish faith. In Philippians 3, he said himself that he's a Hebrew of Hebrews. In other words, this guy was Jewish through and through. So what changed for Paul? How did this model Jew become so globally minded? The answer is simple. Paul encountered a global gospel. When Paul met Jesus, he became convinced of his need to take the gospel to the whole world. He saw these scriptures that he memorized his whole life in a new way. He saw the plan from the very beginning for God to be glorified in all the earth by all people. Paul understood and embraced the calling to a gospel that is global to the point that he he, uh, devoted his entire life to that cause. He went to foreign lands where he was mocked and beaten and hated. He was shipwrecked on a distant island and ultimately executed for his faith. All to see a global church built. And we today have the same calling. We have the same great commission. We have the same gospel. The gospel that says that Jesus died for all people. The gospel says all people stand condemned before God unless they repent and believe. The gospel that says that all those who are saved are called to go to all those who aren't. 
The gospel that says that one day people from every tribe, nation, and tongue will worship together as one new people. Our gospel is a global gospel that produces a global church. Therefore, we need the global church. If we want to be faithful, if we want to be a part of what God is doing, you and I need to be connected to what's going on in the world today. And that's what I want us to see this morning. So let's walk through this text verse by verse. And while we do, I want to give you three reasons. Three reasons we need the global church. Here's the first. Number one, we need the global church for global perspective. Look back at those verses with me, 8 through 10. Paul writes, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. Remember that this is, this is Paul's prayer. It's a prayer of thankfulness. Even though Paul has not met these believers, he didn't start this church, he still prays for them. Why? He says because their faith is proclaimed in all the world. Man, this church, this Roman church was really a miracle of sorts. We have no record of this church being started by an apostle or any leader in the early church. We don't know of anyone who was sent there to plant it. We really don't know how it started. Not to mention that these people were living in the center of, of Roman power. So this church was a big deal all over the world. People were hearing about it. And Paul says it causes him to think God. And it also called him to pray that God might allow him to visit. Like I said, Paul had not met these people yet. He was the apostle of the Gentiles, yet he had not been to the church that was at the Gentile capital of the world. And it wasn't for a lack of effort. It seems as though he had tried but had been tied up in other places. So he's praying that he can come visit. And notice that his prayer here is, is rooted in the gospel. He's thanking God through Jesus Christ. That's the only way we can pray. It's through Jesus Christ. He's our mediator at the right hand of God, bringing our prayers before a holy father. So Paul and us, we, we can only pray because of the gospel. And then he says in verse 9 that he serves God in the gospel. So the gospel is not only the, the means, the way that he prays. The gospel is the motive. It's the reason for his prayer. He prays because he believes in the gospel of Jesus. We see right here in Paul that a global gospel produced a global perspective on the global church. As a faithful Jew, Paul's concern was bigger than just seeing Jews come to Christ. He was not just worried about his homeland or his family and friends or his fellow citizens. Paul had a concern for the whole world. And you can only imagine as he traveled the world and eventually he did make it to Rome where he was beheaded. You can only imagine how his perspective on the church grew as he saw more churches planted and more people come to faith in Christ. The bigger his heart became for the whole world. We too need a global perspective when it comes to our faith. I love Blue Valley Baptist Church. I'm a little biased, but I think we have the best church in the world. <laughs> but we are not the only church in the world. I love Olathe, and I even have come to love the great state of Kansas. But the church is bigger than our community or our state. And I love the USA. Man, when I watch the, that Olympics, I'm that crazy American that's cheering for sports. I don't even know the rules. <laughs> Just cheering. And I want to pray for and support my country whenever I can. 
but the church is bigger than America. Look, let's be honest. As Americans, we have a tendency to think that we're superior to everyone else at everything else. <laughs> we have a tendency to become prideful and look down on other nations. Even as Christians, we're tempted to think that all these other countries, they just desperately need our help because we got all the answers and we got it all figured out, right? So we pity the world or we just treat them as projects or statistics. But the reality is America did not invent Christianity. We don't have the corner on the Christian market. Did you know that Christianity in America has been steadily declining for decades? While in South America and Africa and even places in the Middle East, it's booming. It's growing. We're to the point where other nations are sending their missionaries here to us. So we need to be careful that we don't equate being Christian with being American. We cannot limit our priorities or our thoughts about Jesus and his kingdom to just right here. I love my country, but I'm a Christian before I'm an American. I'm proud to be an American, but I am kingdom first, not America first. We have a global gospel that produces a global church, and we need that global church to have a global perspective. I'll be the first to admit, I spend most of my time thinking about the United States. I was born and raised here. I believe I have a responsibility to my country, so most of the news I follow concerns America. And when I hear about something happening in another country, it's easy for me to think, oh, well, that doesn't affect me. It's not my problem. But here's the truth. As a follower of Jesus, what happens in other countries does affect me. I have more in common with a follower of Jesus in the slums of India than I do with my lost neighbor next door. As a part of the global church, I am joined with these people. Those are my brothers and sisters in Christ. So when I see stories like what's happening in Afghanistan, my first thought should not be political. My gut reaction should not be, oh, okay, this is how this person messed it all up. Or, okay, this is how we should blame everything on this person. Do I have political opinions? <laughs> you bet I do. And there's a time and a place for those conversations. But my point is, as a follower of Jesus, as a member of the global church, my first thought concerning places like Afghanistan should be, what about my brothers? What about my sisters? That's my family over there who's now living in constant fear of death. Those are my sisters over there who are being or forced into sexual servitude. That's my church that's being burned to the ground. We need a global perspective. We need to know and understand what's going on in the world today with a kingdom mindset. We need to think and pray and identify with brothers and sisters around the world. Do we do mission here in Olathe? Yes. Do we do mission here in America? Yes. Do we do mission globally? Yes. Jesus told the disciples in Acts 1 to be his witnesses throughout Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. He didn't say, hey, pick the one you like best. Pick the one that's easiest for you. Why don't you just start here and when you got this figured out, then you can go there. No, it's all of them. It's all the places. That's why our Multiply Vision seeks to plant churches locally, regionally, nationally, and internationally. Because we must have a global perspective. And that comes from the global church. That's the first reason we need the global church. Here's the second. Number two, we need the global church for mutual encouragement. Look at what Paul says in verses 11, 12. He says, for I long to see you 
that it may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Paul now explains why it is he wants to visit. It's so he could strengthen the church through his ministry. Can you imagine the way that a church would be strengthened by the Apostle Paul showing up? Like imagine if he showed up to our church, I would kindly take a seat, let him have the (laughs) platform. But then Paul makes this quick clarification. He says when he visits the church in Rome, it won't just be him doing the encouraging. But they will be mutually encouraged. The faith of both parties will benefit one another. And, man, that's quite a statement. Again, this is the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul to the Gentiles, he tells this church, hey, your faith encourages me. You would actually strengthen me. Paul recognized that a growing church, a a global church, a worldwide movement of Jesus' followers is an encouragement that all of us need. So let me give you this morning a few encouraging examples of what God is doing in the global church right now. Did you know in Iran right now, missiologists estimate they are approaching one million Christians in Iran? In the last 20 years, more Iranians have come to faith in Christ than the previous 13 centuries combined. That makes Iran the fastest growing Christian movement in the world. And the second fastest, did you know, is it's in Afghanistan. And a big reason that's happened is because people from Iran telling people in Afghanistan about Jesus. And now you may be tempted to think, well, oh, now that the Taliban's in power there, those churches are going to die and that's going to all go away and the church will be crushed. But you know the opposite has been true in places with other totalitarian regimes like China. In China today, it's estimated they now have over 100 million Christians. And by the year 2030, if they continue on that track, they will have more Christians in China than in America. Many of those Christians, they meet secretly in underground churches. In other places like Cambodia, the number of Christians in the last 30 years has jumped from 2,000 to more than 300,000. I read another story this year about an unreached people group of 50,000 people in Southeast Asia, and missionaries there experienced the very first convert to Christianity this year. How about this? The church in Africa continues to explode. If current trends continue, Africa will be the first continent on the planet to have one billion Christians. Isn't that encouraging? It should be. I mean, I could go on and on because this is happening all over the world. God is on the move. And Christianity is growing exponentially in many places, yet here we are in America. And we see shrinking Christian influence, and we freak out and think the world's ending. Look, no doubt it's becoming harder to be a Christian in America today. No doubt less people in our nation attend church and are believers. That's something we need to pray for and work on. But we can't stick our heads in the sand and miss what God is doing all over the world. By learning about the global church and connecting with the global church, we can be encouraged to pray for revival here too. We can be encouraged by the Christians in Africa that have church and huts without air conditioning or indoor plumbing or comfy chairs or their favorite Sunday school room. We can be encouraged by the Christians in the Middle East and Asia who are defying government persecution just to go to church. We can be encouraged by the Christians who have only one book of the Bible in their whole language And yet they study it daily. 
We can be encouraged by the Christians who lose their entire family and friends. They're totally ostracized just to follow Jesus. We can be encouraged by the thousands of believers being baptized and churches being planted all over the world. Man, this is what we mean by mutual encouragement. When we only focus on ourselves, we miss the opportunity to see what all God's doing. The global church, it, it recalibrates our thinking, it puts things into perspective, and it spurs us onward to do more here. So can we encourage and help the global church? Absolutely, and we should. But they can also encourage and help us. We need them for mutual encouragement. That's second. Here's the third reason we need the global church. Number three and last, we need the global church for shared mission. Look at verse 13. Paul says, I don't want you to be unaware, brothers, that I've often intended to come to you, but thus far been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. Paul tells the church he doesn't want to just visit Rome for them, but he also wants to help them reach the lost. He wants to reap a harvest, which means seeing people come to faith in Christ. Let's keep going in verse 14 and 15. He says, I'm under obligation. Both the Greeks and the barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. You see that strong language? Paul says, hey, I'm under obligation. Man, I don't have a choice. This is my calling. i got to reach people. And who are these people he wants to reach? First group, he says, Greeks and barbarians. Greeks would refer to those in Rome who spoke the Greek language and embraced the Greek culture. The term barbarian is not as offensive as it might be if I called you that. <laughs> but it's simply a term for all those outside of Greek culture. Then another group, he says, the wise and the foolish. The wise would be those who are considered in the upper elite to be well-educated. The foolish would be the opposite. And, and again, he's not trying to insult people. What he's saying is that he's called to reach all people. Those in the upper class of society who are well-educated and well-connected. Those who were poor and looked down on. Paul wanted to reach everyone. He was eager to preach the gospel to all people everywhere. And he wanted to partner with the Roman church to do it. This is what we mean by shared mission. And it's a huge part of being the global church. We cannot on our own reach the nations and accomplish the Great Commission. We must partner with other churches to accomplish the task. We need to work together for the sake of the kingdom. So often churches go on mission trips. It's just kind of like one-off trips. They go and they build a building or they dig a well or they feed the orphans for a week and they pat themselves on the back and they take pictures for social media and then they leave feeling really good about themselves. And there's no long-term strategy. There's no partnership. Think about Brazil. I mean, you and me, we could get on a plane today. We could up and fly over to Brazil on our own, and we could start going door to door and share the gospel. But I think we might experience some challenges. First off, we don't know the language. We don't speak the, we don't know the culture. For two, on our own, we wouldn't have a church to connect them with. And for three, when we left, the work would end. So this is why a lot of churches today are doing mission work as partnerships. This is why we're partnering with Compassion International and a church planner there in that city. So when we visit, we're not there to do our own thing, but we're there to help them. They know the language. They know the culture. They know the city. They know the people. They have a church already established, and they're going to be working with these people long term. So by partnering together, our work becomes much more impactful. 
We get to play the long game and see more and more lives impacted and more and more churches planted. And listen, guys, that's the cool thing about planting churches. You don't just plant one church and say, wow, look at us. No, we plant churches that plant churches that plant churches that plant churches all for the glory of God. Shared mission also enables every church and every believer to be involved in the Great Commission. Can you imagine how overwhelmed the disciples must have felt when Jesus told them to make disciples of all nations? Can you imagine how overwhelmed Paul must have felt when he heard that he was the apostle to the Gentiles? Those are not tasks we can do on our own. So what did the disciples do? They started raising up. They started sharing the load. They shared the mission. Through shared mission, we can have an impact in Overland Park with the Antioch campus. We can have an impact in West Des Moines, Iowa through Multiply Church, one of our partners. We can have an impact in Brazil through Compassion International. That means when you or me, when we tithe or we give to the Multiply campaign, we become a member of this church. We're literally helping advance the entirety of God's mission all over the world. We need the global church to do that. We need their help if we want to reach the nations. And that's exactly what we're going to do here at Blue Valley. I'm not sure there's ever been a more exciting time to be a part of this church. You heard last week, as Pastor Derek announced, about our very first international church plant in Brazil. you believe that? We are going to be starting a church on another continent. We're so pumped to see that all God's going to do with this, with this amazing opportunity. So let me just close by giving you three quick things that you can begin thinking about right now to partner with the global church through our church plant in Brazil. Here's the first thing you can do, and that's pray. Pray. It's important that we begin praying now for our church plant and for Compassion International. We'll provide more specific ways that we can pray in the coming months, but let's begin praying for Pastor Giovanni and his family. That's the the church planner there. The kids in the community that we're going to be ministering to and all the lost people in Aldeas Altus, Brazil. Second thing you can begin doing is give. You can give. In the spring, we're going to have an opportunity to sponsor children in that community of our church plant. For about $38 a month, you'll be able to provide physical, social, economic, and spiritual care to a child in poverty. And that care will take place through the local church we've planted. If this gets you excited and and pumped up, then I encourage you now to start giving to the Multiply campaign. Because once we are debt-free as a church, we're going to be able to plant so many more churches. And the third and last thing you can do is to begin thinking about going. Through this church plant, Lord willing, we're going to have an opportunity to go to Brazil and see what God is doing with our own eyes. Can you imagine getting to meet the very child you've been sponsoring? I even pray that God would do something radical, that he would call some of us to move there, to be a part of that community. I'm praying that for me. I'm going to start learning Portuguese. So let me ask you, do you have a passport? Is it up to date? That's the first step. How can you say, Jesus, wherever you lead, I'll go, but you ain't got a passport to get there. You got to be ready. Because this is our vision, to see a global gospel continue to build a global church. And one day, by God's grace, we will experience Revelation 7-9 for ourselves. 
We will get to stand in that place where we join every tribe, nation, and tongue, and we'll praise one God as one people united by one Savior. And maybe, just maybe, we'll get to meet someone then. Someone who can come up to us and say, I know you never met me. Thank you for giving. Thank you for being a part of Blue Valley Baptist Church. Thank you for praying for me. I'm here because of you. That's our vision. Let's go to the Lord in prayer.